Guys, good to be with you on a Wednesday. I'm Jerry Miller. This is the I Love Seville Show. Thank you kindly for joining us. A lot of local topic matter on today's program as we shine the curious spotlight on a 300,000-person market we call Charlottesville and Central Virginia. This topic came up on Real Talk with Keith Smith, and it had me thinking. Albert Graves, you often get me thinking. Um, that's Warrior AG. He's a respected viewer and listener of this fine and fair talk show. What is the actual borders of Central Virginia? When I was the high school sports editor of the Daily Progress, <coughs> high school sports is a, an important aspect of local newspaper coverage. Why? Because the high school sports captivate much of the community and it's content that's not being covered by other media outlets. For example, you can find out what's happening in Richmond with state delegates from the Associated Press, the Richmond Times-Dispatch, Washington Post. I mean, a lot of newspapers cover it, TV, radio. When it comes to high school sports, it's so grassroots and localized that few outlets cover it, so those outlets get a lot of attention. So when you were the high school sports editor at the local newspaper, there was a lot of responsibility on your, your job and your beat because there were a lot of eyeballs, especially for Friday night football, on the games that you were covering. The high school sports editor also had a large team underneath him or her of stringers, part-time reporters, that would go to various contests, various games to write newspaper articles about them. Game coverage, we called it. Here's my point. When I was the high school sports editor in, 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 in for the Daily Progress in 2000, no, 2006, 2007, 2008 range, somewhere along there, Madison County was part of our coverage beat. Madison County has a newspaper. I believe it's a weekly newspaper. I think it's the Madison County Eagle. But we were covering Mountaineer football and Coach Eddie Dean's accolades on the gridiron from our office on Rio Road with the Daily Progress. So here's the question I have. Central Virginia, roughly a 300,000-person market. What are the most northern aspects of Central Virginia? What are the most southern aspects of Central Virginia? What are the most eastern and western aspects of Central Virginia? Out of curiosity, do you include Madison County in Central Virginia? Or is Madison County part of the Nova footprint? We did not, the Daily Progress, we did not include Culpeper County, the county northern and adjacent to Madison in our coverage beat. So we went as north as Madison. I include Madison as part of Central Virginia. From a east standpoint, I mean, what's the farthest east you would consider for Central Virginia? What, like Louisa? I wouldn't consider Short Pump or even Western Short Pump part of Central Virginia. I wouldn't go beyond Louisa. Mark Fisher and the Louisa County Lions were part of our coverage footprint at the Daily Progress with our high school sports beat. What's the southern, most southern point of Central Virginia, would you say? That's a great question. What is the most southern point, you would say, of Central Virginia and still call it Central Virginia? Would you say Dillwyn is part of Central Virginia? Parts of it? Parts of Buckingham, parts of Central Virginia? Parts of Buckingham are. Buckingham starts getting in that Farmville footprint. Okay? And what's the most west, you would call, of Charlottesville and Central Virginia? Legitimate question. 
What is the most western aspect of Charlottesville or Central Virginia while still being in Central Virginia? Afton? Hmm. Nelson? I mean, how far west do you go? Out of curiosity, I, I genuinely have this question for you. Um, and we'll get to the topics that are on screen here in a matter of moments. I'm just trying to identify what's the 300,000-person market that we call Central Virginia. We'll weave Judah Wickhauer in on a two-shot. A lot I want to cover today, J-Dubs. Um, I want to shine a spotlight on Hall Spencer's reporting in the Daily Progress. Mm-hmm. I would like to talk about Glenn Youngkin's influence over the Board of Visitors. Seville Weekly did a great story on this. Youngkin's going to appoint four new members to the University Board of Visitors in June. Among those being considered, the Seville Weekly reports, is another Jefferson Council Advisory Board member. Remember, Youngkin appointed Burt Razorblade Ellis to the Board of Visitors. Yeah. Despite Razorblade Ellis traveling, traveling up half the eastern seaboard to try to Razorblade a sign-off someone's door on the lawn that legitimately happened so Yunkin legitimately is going to influence the board of visitors which is a 17 member board eight of the 17 voting members may be Yunkin appointees you get two four-year terms max Yunkin is bringing his conservative ideology And he's taking this conservative ideology, an ideology that undoubtedly is rooted or has a foundation in preserving history, a conservative foundation and ideology that is rooted in championing Thomas Jefferson, I would say Yunkin's ideology includes making sure Jefferson is undoubtedly a part of the University of Virginia brand moving forward. A lot of folks are trying to eradicate Thomas Jefferson from the UVA brand. The most powerful man, or maybe one of the most powerful men in the Commonwealth says, not so fast, my friends. TJ is going to be a part of this university. And you see that, Yunkin's commitment to TJ, through his appointees on the Board of Visitors, Razorblade Ellis, and now the scuttlebutt is another member from Council Jefferson could go to the Board of Visitors. Where do you want to start on this topic? I mean, uh, it's pretty much the case in any political uh, political appointee situation. The uh, the uh, the politician in uh, in question is going to pick, uh, you know, their friends, their uh, people that align with them politically, people that believe the same thing as they do. Uh, so it's not really surprising that, uh, that he's... You he, think Thomas Jefferson should be a part of the University of Virginia moving forward? Carly Wagner, Cully Baggett, I'll get to your comments. Viewers and listeners, should Thomas Jefferson be a part of the University of Virginia moving forward? I think so. I, I think mean, so. he kind of built it, didn't he? I mean, University of Virginia, his brainchild. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to take... Follow-up question. Follow-up question. Viewers and listeners, follow-up question for you. Chad Wood, 100%. He founded the university. Viewers and listeners watching this fine and fair talk show, how many of you have the confidence 
to say on the downtown mall in a megaphone or on your personal Facebook or Instagram pages that Thomas Jefferson moving forward should undoubtedly be a part of the University of Virginia. Is there a reason we should be afraid to do that? Folks can say Thomas Jefferson should be a part of the UVA. But I think it's now getting to the point in 2023 where some people feel hesitation to say TJ should be a part of UVA. Much like in 2023, some folks have hesitation saying they have conservative viewpoints or ideologies for fear of backlash. I would say that Jefferson should be a part of UVA. That statement and the conservative ideology are in the same Pandora's box where folks are hesitant to make those statements. That's fair. What does that say about the culture? That's a story for a different day. It says that the vocal minority are the mob is winning. Is ruling. Yeah. I don't, mob is, 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 is not a great term, I don't think, because mob suggests depth and numbers, where what I'm seeing, it's a powerful minority, not a depth in numbers, a small group. I'd say it's still a pretty... I'd, it may be a minority, but it, it's still a, not insignificant numbers of people are... Uh, <clears throat> um, You're saying it's larger than we think? No, I'm saying that... Uh, I mean, let's face it. Thomas Jefferson, he used to have a holiday locally, city of Charlottesville. The backlash from a small group in the city legitimately got City Hall to take away the Thomas Jefferson holiday. And it's now more of an employee appreciation holiday. So it's no longer honored in Charlottesville, the home of Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. Nakia Walker has come on this program. And the Nakia Walker interview that I did with the former mayor lives forever in perpetuity on social media, on YouTube, anywhere you get your podcasting platforms. Nakia, the mayor, when she was the mayor of Charlottesville, straight up said in this microphone, into the camera, that Thomas Jefferson should be completely eradicated from the University of Virginia. Yeah. Legitimately said that. Bob Yarborough says his influence and continued presence at UVA should be properly contextualized. That's fair. What do you make of the word contextualized? Do you want to unpack that? Yeah, I think uh, that was... That's the exact word that I really, I, I don't think that, uh, I don't think that Carl Brown used that word, but I think that was the intention when he came on the show one of the times and talked about, this was when the, uh, uh, the Fuhrer was going on about the, the Confederate statues, statues in the park and what to do with them. And I, I Carl Brown it, ran for Charlottesville city council. He did not win. I thought his response was one of the, was one of the most intelligent I've I've heard on the entire subject from anyone and it had to do with the fact that uh, leave them up, put up signs that contextualize them, that explain what the, uh, you know, what, how, how these, uh, how these statues, uh, how they came to be, what they mean, uh, what they mean to us now. And the, and the purpose was to, I think uh, was to spark debate and and talk about these things and not keep them hidden, not whitewash them, not take them away so that nobody knows that there was an entire section of our history that ended just a few years ago where we had these statues up in Charlottesville and what that meant. Like, when I came here, I didn't know anything about them. When I saw those statues, I just thought, oh, it's some historic guy who... 
you know, rode a horse, was probably in a... You're talking about the Ari Lee statue? In a battle... What? Lee, the Ari Lee statue you're talking? I'm talking about all of them. Okay. Well, they're not all a historic guy in a horse. Well, there was... I mean, no- I, I apologize. I'm doing the thing that I get frustrated with you. Yeah. I apologize. I should not have done that. I'm interrupting you while making a point. Please continue. I'm nitpicking. I apologize. So, as I was saying, I didn't know anything about them. To me, they were just statues of guys on horses, you know, likely from, uh, from, the, uh, uh, from the Civil War. And I thought all of the, the hubbub was very odd. And it's, I appreciate the perspective I've, I've gained from, from other people and what they had to say about them. And I think that contextualizing a lot of this historical stuff is far more useful to all of us as we continue to discuss you know the the, the race problems that we have in this country and and other issues that we have in this country having some some context to all of this is much more useful than just trying to pretend it never existed great take in particular Thomas Jefferson. We we may not like all of all of his place in history, but you can't take him out of our history. You you, you what are you, you going to tear down UVA and build a different school because you don't? Chad wanna... Wood says, "Would you rename the school? Would you rename the school?" Here's the nitty gritty. Here's what we're I've talking never about. Been to the school, so so all of this has absolutely no bearing to me in terms of you know. Some uh, you know some school loyalty or whatever. Carly you know. Wagner says I agree with everything you just said, Judah. Everything deserves context. Judah Wickhauer on point Thank today, you. the Wednesday edition of the I Love Seville show. We're talking about the Seville Weekly article, and if you want to um, put the second lower third on this on screen, will the second Jefferson Council member get on BOV? We're talking about the Seville Weekly article, and I, I like to highlight journalism locally that gets my wheels turning that's meritable journalism that's legit reporting that gets me thinking um i don't see her byline often her name is katie ratliff it's an article in the seville weekly this week and the article talks about governor glenn yunkin's influence over the uva board of visitors he's going to yunkin will appoint four new members to the board of visitors in june so we're talking 30 days a month among those being considered is a former Jefferson Council Advisory Board member, Katie Ratliff reports. She then does investigative reporting and figures out who she thinks is the Jefferson Council Advisory Board member who's going to get appointed to the Board of Visitors. It was fantastic journalism. I don't know who Katie is, but this is a fantastic story. Um, she also reports that the Board of Visitors is composed of 17 voting members who are all appointed by the governor and confirmed by the Virginia General Assembly. Yunkin has a chance to take eight of the 17 board members. It's not a, it's and not reshaping. a majority. It's, no, but there could be other people that are actively on the board that share yeah. the ideology of the appointees he's picking. Yeah, I'm not saying he's not extremely close. But this guy is reshaping the board of visitors. Yunkin is. This, is, this gets me nostalgic of the influence a president has when Supreme Court justice seats come up for grabs. Yeah, that's what I was saying, that the politicians do this. They- Yunkin has got, it's like when a president appoints a, a judge to the <laughs> Supreme Court, Yunkin has got a similar influence here over UVA, one of the most prestigious universities in the world. Certainly the top, and I'm biased, I bleed orange and blue and went there, the top university in the Commonwealth. 
I mean, it's the University of Virginia. It bills and brands itself as the university of this state. Right? It does. So this dude legitimately, dude, the governor legitimately is going to shape this 17-member board and it's going to now embody more of his conservative, pro-Jeffersonian ideals. Yeah. (laughs) This is a fairly large, monumental story here. All right, let's get to comments. Carol Thorpe says, in my opinion, Judah's take on the statues in Thomas Jefferson is spot on. Thank you. Great take for Judah Wickhauer there. Um, Jan- it's true. Janice Boyce Trevilian says, this is nothing new. This is the same as previous governors. Yeah. That's fair. Previous governors... I, I do not have the answer to this question. John Blair, do you know the answer to this? Neil Williamson, do you know the answer to this? Jim Hingley, do you know the answer to this? Lloyd Snook, do you know the answer to this? Which governor has had the most influence over the UVA Board of Visitors through appointments? Yunkin's going to get eight, eight of 17. As a Virginia governor, had more of an influence over the UVA Board of Visitors than 8 of 17, which is Yunkin. I legitimately would love to know that. I want to learn. Please, does someone know that? Bob Yarborough, the king of Redfields, leaves this comment. Let's think way outside the box. What if could UVA eventually go private, not necessarily to escape Yunkin, but to escape the political partisanship? <coughs> Would UVA go public to escape? It's a, it's a, it's a topic for a talk show. UVA hmm. go private to escape party politics. Would they have to give up their... Uh... Yeah, I mean, they lose a lot of money from the, the state if they did that. I don't think UVA... I know, it's just it's a hypothetical. Yeah, so we're not going to say this is going to happen here. I know. I'm just... I, think, I think the pros of being public outweighed the cons of being a political pawn which UVA is being played as a political pawn here. The University of Virginia is a pawn on a chessboard and on one side of the chessboard is Glenn Youngkin, the conservative Thomas Jefferson evangelist. Okay. And on the other side of the chessboard is UVA's liberal student body UVA's liberal faculty and much of the surrounding community around the university that's also very liberal. We saw tremendous backlash when Razor Blade Ellis was being appointed. <coughs> Excuse me, allergies are killing me. Now, Razor Blade Ellis's backlash was associated with his tendency to utilize razor blades to razor blade signs off doors. That's I would imagine that's disingenuous. I would imagine if Razorblade Ellis had not have packed the sharp blade in his vehicle, gone across state lines, gone to the lawn, and tried to threaten to Razorblade to sign off a door, that we would not have issues with Razorblade Ellis. But Razorblade Ellis will forever be known as Razorblade. That is your new name, Razorblade. It is not Bert. It is Razorblade. So if Razorblade is on the board, the only reason we know Razorblade is on the board is because of his affinity for Razorblades, right? We wouldn't be talking about this story, I don't think, with this magnitude or momentum if Razorblade had not used, had not had a Razorblade, right? 
Would we be talking about it with this momentum? He wouldn't have such a great nickname, but uh, I think we would be talking about it. No, not with this Yeah, have you seen some of the stuff that he's... Yeah, yeah, okay, that's fair. So Razorblade's an anomaly. Are you saying he's an outlier data point, Razorblade? I'm saying, yeah, I'm saying that that anyone uh, Yunkin Yunkin, uh, proposes for the board after, after Razorblade... Is, is going to have attention. Is going to be a no. Is going to be a slam dunk. Slam dunk meaning better than razor blade. Meaning no, nobody's going to have a. I mean, people might have a problem, but uh, people would have a problem if he's on the Jefferson Council. I think the reason we have more of a, this problem is because of razor blade. Anyway, we'll move beyond this point. Eight of seventeen Yunkins going to appoint. That is significant. Does anyone know if a Virginia governor has appointed more than eight? <clears throat> Anyone watching this fine and fair talk show that can help me with that answer, I would love to know. Did you do a quick Google search and figure any you found? Yeah, oh. I haven't been able to find it yet. Oh, wait, John Blair's offering perspective here. Oh, we do have an answer. God, I love you, John Blair. Um, and I learned something here. I did not know this. So here's knowledge. This is from... Um, one of the smartest guys in this listenership, and he knows Virginia politics. John says, Jerry and Judah, each governor gets to appoint all 16 BOV members, not the student member during their four-year term, four BOV members each year. So the answer to your question is Governor Godwin, the only governor to serve two terms, 1966 to 1970 and 1974 to 1978. He got to appoint 32 separate BOV members to the board. What was he, killing them in secret? (laughs) (laughs) That's a great, that sounds like a trivia question waiting to happen here on the I Love Seville show. Um, I got to respond to that here. That's fantastic stuff. Exclamation point, post response to John on LinkedIn. He also says this, Jerry and Judah, it's important to note Both houses of the General Assembly must approve the governor's appointments. Ellis only got through the state Senate this year on a 2020 vote with Lieutenant Governor Sears casting the tie-breaking vote. I did know that. I did know that. If if Razorblade can make it through to the board, whoever this um, character, the Seville Weekly, is alluding to is going to make it as well. Most likely. Because there's no Razorblade shenanigans or tomfoolery. That we know of. That we know of. <laughs> Knock on for Micah. I don't think that's Good for stuff Micah. from you, JB. I legitimately learned something right there. All right, let's go to the top story, if you want to put the lower third on. And don't forget, we have a 2 o'clock board meeting at the Clifton today. So how long do you think it's going to take us to get from Market Street to the Clifton? Why don't we, why don't we allocate 25 minutes, mm. and my car is close to the studio, so I think we should be able to go right to about 127 on the dot. I'd give it 20 minutes. I want to be safe. that's just me. I want to be early. It's a VIP. Let's be early. Um, all right. Did you read the downtown Belmont killer story from Hall Spencer in the progress? Yeah, I'm the one that sent it to you. No, I read that last night. I read that last night while I was on the think tank. It doesn't change the fact that I sent it to you. You sent it to me today. Yeah. Did you read it before you sent it? Yeah. Okay. It was fantastic. Was it not? Yeah, it was great. I mean, it was... Uh, it was fantastic. Compelling, and uh, by the end, I was cheering for this guy. And I know. Hope, and hoping that it, he, doesn't get, uh, he doesn't get deported. 
And I know. Do you want to give the synopsis or the elevator pitch of the story? Or should you, you do it, and then I'll add some color. All right. You know I'm going to interrupt anyway. I, yeah. I apologize. I'm going to apologize in advance. I think most people know the basics of the, of the story prior to now. Oh, the Prior killing. to now, that there, there was a, uh, a shootout near the, um, <clears throat> near the tire mural. And um, the, the new information that's recently come out is that <clears throat> the, was the problem, <clears throat> the issue, what, would I, uh, what brought everyone there at that moment in time? Yeah, why <clears throat> were a bunch of folks from a bunch of different states rendezvousing in front of the I Love Charlottesville a lot sign in Fitzgerald Tire downtown Belmont. Yeah. Well, now we know. There was also a lot of speculation that, oh, you know, there's drugs going on in Charlottesville. It's I was part of that speculation. And it turns out that this guy, uh, what was his, is it Port, Porto? Is that his name? Anyways, this guy apparently uh, was saving money to bring his wife to the United States. And All right, I got to jump in. We've got to tell the story. Am I not telling the story? We've got to tell a story in captivating capacities. Okay. There was a man. I've, I, if I'd only started it that way. There was a man <laughs> who was fighting, fighting for his freedom. Well, come on. I'm not a man gonna... from Mexico looking for freedom and a better quality of life for him and his family. Well, now you're just embellishing the whole thing. Which part was embellished? Exactly, none of it. The difference is choice of language. Yours, mine. A man from Mexico searching for his freedom, hunting for freedom for himself and his family. He makes his way to Maryland, and he's trying to bring the love of his life, his wife, into the United States and across the border. This is going to be a long story. He's in the goat. I can do it in under 60 seconds in award-winning fashion. Are you ready for this? Put me on the clock. As he's negotiating his wife's path to America from Mexico, he's dealing with some gentlemen, some border-crossing gentlemen who are shady of character. And in the bottom of the ninth inning, they say to the husband in Maryland, if you want to see your wife, you're going to come up with an extra $10,000 and you're going to give it to us or we're going to kill her and throw her in a ditch. This Maryland man then does the best he can to get $10,000. The meeting point for him to get his wife from the handlers who smuggle her across the Mexico-America border was the I Love Charlottesville lot sign, the parking lot of Fitzgerald Tire. I think you're adding some of your own uh, Ten grand they asked. He came up with four. He was short. As a result of being short, the 10K, the asking price, yes, this is kidnapping, a gun battle ensued in the parking lot. And in the process of this gun battle, this man trying to save his life, a woman who he helped smuggle across the border, a $10,000 sticker on his wife's forehead for freedom. He didn't have the money. Gunshot ensued in the parking lot. A man died. He gets taken into custody, and he has to prove through text messages and digital correspondence that he was fighting for his wife's freedom. Eventually, the authorities, the Commonwealth's attorney, realized that this guy was a hero. 
that all he wanted to do was snuggle in bed next to his wife, who he's been away from for a long period of time. They dropped the charges, but awfully, terribly, sadly, the feds get involved because this guy's not legal in America. And now he risks getting deported. This is the most, this is a freaking movie. I know, especially the way you wrote it. This is a movie. This is a movie. A guy goes to America from Mexico looking for freedom and quality of life. He gets a head start over his wife. He then tries to smuggle his wife in. The smugglers have leverage. The love he has for this woman. I think they ask for 10 grand additionally. He doesn't have it. He can only find four. Because the six was missing, a gunfight ensued in downtown Belmont. I think you're, I think Judah, you're making some don't of this up. poo-poo stuff. Which stuff am I making up? You don't understand the concept of entertainment in a talk show. <laughs> Which stuff is being made up, Judah, specifically? How do you know that it was the people that smuggled her across? It says it in the article. Does it? Legitimately, yes. Where? Read the article. I did. I didn't get that impression anywhere from the article. You don't think the people, so you think some random people just asked for the $10,000 and not the people that smuggled her across the border? Would he not have mentioned that the people that smuggled her were asking for additional money? Because that's not what it says. So who do you think is asking for the additional money? Whoever got her once she made it in, whoever kidnapped her once she got into the country. You think this woman got smuggled across the border and then after she got smuggled across the border then got kidnapped by another party and the people that kidnapped the woman from the smugglers then had the contact information for the husband in Maryland? You think it's that? Or you don't think it's the smugglers who were paid to get the woman across the border then got greedy and said, give me an extra 10K or we're going to kill your wife? Mine's way more plausible. (laughs) You're still, you're still making up facts. No facts are being made up. Your path of but what you said is you not just, in this article You just either. said yours was more plausible. If, it, if they were facts, they wouldn't have to be plausible. I'm you're doing the nitpicking thing that takes down the energy of the talk show. That's what you're doing right now. You're the one that cut me off because you didn't right. like my... Let's my... go one shot. Okay. Um, it's a great article. Read it in the Daily Progress. I think you will absolutely love it. Oh my gosh, someone's sending me an email about a lost pet and wants me to get a lost pet on the talk show right now. I, we can't. Are we going to use the show for lost pets and $1,000 rewards? I don't know if we can do that. I don't know if we can do that. Um, anyway, Hall Spencer Daily Progress, read that. I also want to highlight two other, three other topics on today's show. Um, Tuesday morning on Pantops is closing. Tuesday morning is um, in the Food Lion Shopping Center. This is yet another brick and mortar that's shutting its doors. Um, I'm very curious to see what happens to all these storefronts that are left um, vacant and, 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 and collecting dust. That shopping center in particular on Pantops seems to be a bit um, vulnerable. A lot of turnover at that Pantops shopping center where the food line is. You got, you got Icons, Lazy Parrot, you got Food Line, you got an ABC store that everyone knows about. I think you got a Subway in there. 
but lately you've got some icons that have closed. There was a Lloyd's Hallmark that closed, and now a Tuesday morning that's closing. Also, two other topics I want to highlight. Barbersville Vineyards is utilizing wine vending machines. You're talking about one of the, I saw this on Reddit, one of the oldest vineyards. Is this the oldest vineyard in central Virginia? Barbersville? Are you asking me? I mean, you're the only person in here. You could be asking the audience. I don't know. You want me to look it up? I, I think Barbersville is Barbersville Vineyards. Let's see. I think this is the oldest one. That's actually a very good trivia question as well. Chateau Morissette. Where is that? It is the oldest Virginia winery. I don't know if that's... Where's the one in central Virginia? I don't know. I don't know the exa- I don't know the answer to that one. What is the old- oldest vineyard or winery in Central Virginia? Barbersville's got to be one of them. Anyway, in their tasting room, they're using wine pouring vending machines. This goes back to what we've talked about on. In fact, I saw this on CNN today. There's an article. This is a, a macro headline on CN- from CNN. There was a McDonald's in Louisville that you can find this headline literally on CNN right now. This McDonald's on Louisville was utilizing 10-year-old children to work as late as 2 a.m. Two 10-year-old children were found working at a Louisville McDonald's restaurant sometimes until 2 a.m., the U.S. Department of Labor said Tuesday. Barbersville Vineyards, one of the oldest vineyards locally, is utilizing machines to pour wines in tasting rooms. And McDonald's in Louisville are utilizing 10-year-olds to work till 2 a.m. Charlottesville swimming pools and Albemarle County beaches don't have enough lifeguards to keep the pools and the beaches open full-time in the summer. The labor market is completely in shambles right now. One of the oldest vineyards that prides itself on award-winning wines is utilizing technology and machinery to do tastings, Barbersville, McDonald's in Louisville's got two, uh, 10-year-olds working to 2 a.m., and the city and county can't find lifeguards to keep pools and beaches open. <clears throat> that, where, what are the people doing? What are the folks doing? How many folks can actually be influencers or talk about stuff and make a living? It's extremely difficult to do that. We're in a 300,000-person market, Central Virginia, and there's one business and brand that's utilizing influencing full-time to make a living, and that's us. One of 300,000 people. Can you think of a brand or platform that's utilizing influencing to make a living and pay bills as the job? Can you? I can't. I can't. Anyone else? Tuesday morning out of business, Barbersville using machines to pour wines in tasting rooms. McDonald's in Louisville got 10-year-olds, two of them working at 2 a.m., and you can't get lifeguards to work in the city and the county to keep pools and beaches open. Pools and beaches, county and the city, they don't stay open full-time, yet the pools at the country clubs do. The pools at the private gyms do. The pools at the pay to enjoy do. 
That burns me. That burns me. But in this scenario, is it the jurisdiction that you get burned by? I mean, is it just up to the jurisdiction to just pay more? I mean, Kevin Yancey, you made this point. They raised the pay for the bus drivers, and what happened with the bus drivers? They still couldn't fill them. If they raise the pay for the lifeguards in the city and the county, and they still can't fill them, what else can the city and the county do? Maybe folks just don't want to work. Anything you want to close with? Mm, no. You, you, want to, you have any predictions where the people are? Do I have what now? Where, where are the, why aren't the folks working? I, I think we've created our own, uh, our own problems. Uh, you've got, <clears throat> you've got uh, if you've got families. People we, can't afford to live here. That's the answer. And they're not going to commute 45 minutes to a job that's going to pay them 25, 12 bucks an hour. Okay. I mean, isn't that what it is? They can't afford to live here, and they're expected to drive an hour one way to a $12 an hour job. The math doesn't make sense. Isn't that it? Sure. I mean, what else is it? I mean, there's a lot of other stuff, but uh, there's the cost of taking care of your kids. We talked about it in the, uh, the Real Talk show this morning, and we've talked about it before. When, uh, when the cost to take care of your kid costs more than one half of the uh, uh, husband and wife team makes, it doesn't make sense to keep working for that because – are you really going to go to work just to pay to take care of your kid? Why not just take care of your kid yourself? So that Choice leaves my wife and I mean, literally we live that ourselves. So that leaves, that leaves a, a void in other areas where all these, uh, whether it's, whether it's men or women who are the, uh, the family member who's staying home with the kids, it leaves half, you know, all these people that are staying home are taking themselves out of the workforce. So now you've got, all these other jobs that don't have people working in them and need to be filled. You've got all the people that passed away throughout the course of the pandemic. You've got all the people that have been retiring, possibly retiring early because, well, I've got to stay home for the next year or two anyways. And then, like you said, you've got... Uh, you've That's got, what I want to know, Sarah. You've got Sarah a, says, where are the teenagers? I get that, she says. But where are the teenagers? Do they would, not work anymore? I was thinking about that, but... I think the teenagers want to be influencers, man. The teenagers want to do what we're doing here, where they get to sit in front of a microphone and a camera and talk about stuff they like and make a living. Sure. Teenagers are on their phones and want to be the next TikTok star. There's one brand and platform in a 300,000-person market that is professionally doing this. I would, being an influencer and making a professional living, the odds of doing that, I would bet you are less than making the National Football League. That might be a bit of an exaggeration, but it's the same thing. Albert Grace, all the teenagers are in their parents' basement playing video games on Twitch. And he also says, um, don't forget the anchor of that shopping center on Pantops is the Roses, and the subway is now a donut shop. And he suggests that they raise the pay of the lifeguards to seventeen fifty an hour to lure in more applications. Maybe some other job market should follow their lead. Grayson says, Jerry, the story about the killer was better than Grayson says, Jerry, your story about the killer was better than the article I read this morning. Good work. Thank you, Grayson. Um, Collie Baggett says, Judah, you should play some background music when Jerry tells stories like that. <laughs> 
Thank you, Cully. Um, that's the journalist in me, the feature writer in me from the Daily Progress coming out. All right. Anything else you want to close with? Uh, no. Today's show is good. We're heading to the Clifton. We got a board meeting at two o'clock, which is forty-two minutes. Uh, I'll close with this. Over the last, like, say, ten months, year, six to ten months, we'll call it. We've had some good local news. And by local news, I don't mean like the actual events. I mean the coverage of local news. I like it. I want to read everything. I read everything. I'm a junkie for this. I just want to lap it up. Like lap up the local news. I want more of it. So the journalists out there covering Central Virginia, 300,000 person market, good work. And the viewers and listeners that are watching this fine and fair talk show say, Jerry, I think you are correct that Northern Madison line would be the cutoff for Central Virginia. I feel like Culpeper County is definitely in the Nova footprint. So we got Madison to the north. To the east, we're going to call Louisa County. Louisa County to the east as the farthest point for Central Virginia. We got to the south, I included some Dillwyn and Buckingham. To the west, what's the most west part of Central Virginia you would, you would call? John says, I can't comment on the other borders, but the western boundary of Central Virginia is Afton Mountain. One note of interest, the 11th Senate District includes Almore, Charlottesville, Nelson, and Amherst. Interesting that the Virginia Redistricting Commission felt that those localities were a common community of interest. Amherst seems out of place. Then again, Nelson seems out of place with Almore and Charlottesville as well. So Afton to the west. We'll go Madison North. Afton Mountain West, Buckingham and Dillwyn South, and Louisa and Mineral on the East as your compass of Central Virginia, 300,000 person market. Thank you kindly for joining us. For Judah Wickhauer, I'm Jerry Miller. We'll see you tomorrow.